This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. This is Matt Britton, author of Youth Nation. You're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which is all about helping you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, I'm joined by Matt Britton, and we're going to talk about his book, Youth Nation, Building Remarkable Brands in a Youth-Driven Culture. Matt Britton is known throughout the marketing industry for his expertise in the millennial generation. Matt currently serves as founder and CEO of New York-based MRY, a social media and youth marketing agency. Since founding the agency in 2002, MRY has worked with some of the world's leading brands, including Procter & Gamble, Microsoft, Coca-Cola, and Visa, to help them connect with today's rapidly evolving and highly elusive consumer. Matt has grown MRY from a one-man startup to a company with over 500 employees worldwide. It was named the Social Media Agency of the Year by Mashable, and Fast Company is named MRY, one of advertising's 10 most innovative companies. Matt often speaks at conferences and trade shows on trends and issues on millennial marketing. He has been featured on CNBC, Mashable, Forbes, Fortune, The Financial Times, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and most importantly, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Matt, congratulations on Youth Nation, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. So, uh, Matt, as we record this, today's my birthday. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. And, And I could think of no better way to celebrate a birthday than with the author of a book about marketing to the youth and, and about the youth. So if we have time at the end, I, I will ask you to, you know, since you're an expert on youth, uh, how I can get those kids off my lawn. <laughs> but uh, let me just read uh, one excerpt from the very beginning uh, that I, I really liked, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So let's be clear. For brands today, the old marketing models are over. The status quo is dead. Today's rapidly shifting marketplace requires businesses to be agile, connected, authentic, artful, meaningful, immersive, and socially responsible. In other words, today, businesses have to embody the ideals of youth nation, regardless of age or size, in order to succeed. Matt, can you explain what youth nation is? Well, it's basically a world that we live in right now that, that's, that's driven by young people. Um, young people today have power and control over the future of the world like never before. And most new products, new innovations, most disruptions to major companies who have been around for decades are being driven by young people because they grew up with the internet in the household. They grew up with an intuitive understanding of how to use technology to make such changes. And because of that, no matter what age you are, you need to pay attention to these movements that are primarily being driven by the millennial audience in order to really um, survive and thrive in this world. So my kids are 17 and 20. Okay. And I know this wasn't the point of your book, but after I read it, I started to piece together uh, a lot of things about my own kids. Not, you know, they're great kids. Um, 
you know, they think their dad's sometimes kind of dumb, but that's probably typical. But it was there was a lot of uh, things that, that made me better understand their whole generation. And the one thing I wanted to mention about your book was that this book, yeah, it's, you know, about marketing to millennials. It's about youth. But it also reminded me of reading Megatrends back in the 80s. Uh, and Megatrends is the book written in 82 where it was all about predictions about the future. And mm-hmm. it was really, really, really interesting. So I don't, I, I realize this is about marketing to youth, but I think that even if you're selling jet engines or locomotives, there are still things in here that just explain where a lot of this is going. Yep. So you snuck in another book there, Matt. I saw, what, <laughs> I see what you did there. So let's dig into some of these things that were just really interesting. You talk about going from status symbols to status updates and yep. how status symbols have, have taken a hit. Can you explain that for the listener? Yeah. I mean, if you think of, you know, the, the Gen X world, you know, people's personal brands, how they were perceived by their peers and the world at large was largely driven by the logos and the brands that they carried with them. You know, people would, would buy cars or, or, or wear clothing with big logos across them because there's a way that they can identify to the world what they were all about. It wasn't until recently that experiences, the things that people experiences, the places they went to, the journeys and adventures that they achieved, were able to be shared with people's peers at scale. If you think about it, if you went on an amazing adventure to the Amazon rainforest, the only people you could really show that adventure to were the people who were able to stand right in front of you and look at your photo album. But with the growth of tools like Instagram and and really all social media platforms, now people have the ability to share their experiences at scale. And experiences are a way more powerful element to, to, to showcase who you are to the world than the things that you buy. Um, it's much more original and much more telling on who you are. So since these tools exist now, now there's a kind of a, a flipping of the script in terms of what's important. And now we're seeing consumers prioritize the achievement of experiences versus the collection of personal things as the way to really build their personal brand to the world around them. And it also seems that there's a discussion about social media where people are talking about how, look, you, you need to enjoy it while it's happening. Don't be focusing exclusively on trying to share it with anyone. Right. Y- yes. However, when people go on an amazing experience, there's no chance that they won't be taking a picture of it. And there's really no chance they're not going to be sharing it. Oh, so, yeah. so w- which begs the question, what's the core driver of some experiences? Is it to actually experience those things or is it to actually share those things. And that even goes to parents who are watching their kids in their piano recital in their front row, but instead of looking at them through their own eyes in high def, they're looking at it through a phone. You know, they're, they're largely capturing it for other people to see. Sure, it could be documenting the memories for themselves, but most people don't go back and look at that. They do it so they can share it. And so, so it's really impacting all generations. It's dynamic. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about how the, this generation is going from things to thrills. Yep. What is the experience economy? Well, the experience economy is really largely the fact that every business now needs to jump on board and and provide an experience as an output of, of, of their business. So if a consumer goes into a store to buy um, you know, a pack of gum or they're going to eat at a restaurant um, or they're going to work out or they're going to a supermarket – there needs to be something in there that gets a consumer talking about that experience because that's how consumers 
are hearing about new products and services through other consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's not just enough anymore just to be in business, just to sell something or provide a service. You really need to make that thing into an experience to get people talking, um, to create a brand for yourself, and then to, to drive growth in your business. Mm-hmm. And there's another book, an author that was on the show, Robert Rose, he and Carla mm-hmm. Johnson wrote Experiences, the, the, the marketing book, and it starts to talk about that. And I think Brian uh, Solace is even coming out with one, this, this emerging area of just this one aspect that you touch on yep. uh, in the book. Sure. Um, and, and it was funny because uh, you, you have a whole chapter about EDM, which mm-hmm. is electronic, <laughs> electronic dance music, which my 20-year-old computer science son loves. I'm sure. <laughs> and... It, it the reason it's so popular is it's it's all about that experience, not it so is. much the actual music. It is well, it's about the music, but you know if you think back to the '90s and the early 2000s, hip hop was really dominating the top 40s, and hip hop has music that's largely about the collection of physical items and you know and the bling bling. And then with the shift, and the shift was largely driven by the financial collapse in 2008. I should add. You know, people were more focused on experiences, and EDM at its core is about bringing people together. And the byproduct of which is this massive festivals that are happening all around the world right now, mm-hmm. um, sound around dance music because dance is largely a group phenomenon. So because of that, been. always has been. So it's about bringing people together. So it's really become the soundtrack of this new experience obsessed generation. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like the Grateful Dead. Yep, it wasn't so much about the music for some as it was about community the community and thinking about the 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 experiences they had at their uh, shows which is what their focus was was all about the shows that's exactly right that's exactly right it's a great analogy so uh well i borrowed it from david merriman scott who wrote the book with brian halligan about marketing secrets from the grateful dead (laughs) interesting i gotta add that i gotta add that to my list because i'm a big grateful dead fan myself oh you'd love it because it's like they were 40 years ahead yep uh of where everyone is now yeah actually i i I interviewed david right after the grateful dead's final performance last summer so well it's it's not their final performance because now they're now they're playing at the garden um (laughs) some would some would say their final performance was the last performance jerry garcia performed but that's now they're right. there. Right. Oh, I didn't know they were going to do some more. Well, that's, yeah. that's, uh, they'll, they'll never die. <laughs> I uh, hope not. Now, there's another concept you talk about, which I want you to explain, and it's ownership to access. Yeah. So because consumers are now spending more money and more time on experiences, it's got to come at the expense of something else, of the pie chart of of you know how a consumer spends their discretionary funds, and what's it coming at the at the expense of is the purchase of physical items, namely um, big physical items. Um, and you know the places where consumers have spent the most amount of their money in the past are on car, cars and houses. So if you look at cars, for instance, oh, the millennial generation is really deprioritizing the purchase of an automobile, which used to be a rite of passage for people who were graduating high school or college. You know, only ten to twenty years ago, um, because of Uber. They, and the ubiquity and ease of Uber, and because most of them want to stay in cities, they question the need to purchase a car, especially in couple of when, when stacking on the cost of gas, tolls, parking, insurance. Why own a car? It doesn't make sense to own a car. Instead of owning a car, this generation can simply access a car by using Uber. The same goes for houses. You know, With the skyrocketing cost of real estate, especially in major cities like New York and San Francisco and Seattle, it, it's really largely out of reach, purchasing real estate 
for younger people right now. And because of that, they're turning to tools like Airbnb, where they can either use Airbnb for shorter term stays because they want to kind of bounce around in their career. Or they're using Airbnb to drive an incremental revenue source by renting out their homes. Mm-hmm. But, but regardless, the purchase of a car and house, which is used to be what people saved up for when they get out of college, is now really not a priority anymore. They're accessing these things instead of owning them. And that goes to even smaller purchases like clothing. There's a booming business called Rent the Runway, where young women can rent a dress for $100 a night, you know, a $1,500 dress that you can rent, take a picture of it with your Instagram when you're out at the club or the restaurant, and then return it the next day. So that's accessing the clothing over owning it. So this access over ownership or rental um, or peer-to-peer marketplace, it's called many different things, is really exploding. And it all kind of fits together with where the priorities sit for this new generation. Yeah, and I think it uh, the things like Spotify and Netflix, rather than having uh, yeah, that's a exactly shelf right. of, of CDs like, like I do uh, at my house, and you, you you talk about the peer-to-peer economy. I just wanted to, to read one quote and, and um, get you to, to respond. You talk about how increasingly the products and services Youth Nation is looking for are coming from peers instead of businesses. Yeah. And, as, and as a result, an entirely different outlook for capitalism and consumption is emerging. This is no small stuff here. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there are services out there where consumers are, are, are platforms out there, I should say, where consumers are offering services to one another, really alleviating the, the need for, for the consumers to seek out businesses for their services. So, for instance, there's TaskRabbit, where if you need something done in your house, whether it's dog sitting or putting together furniture or even cooking a meal, you actually can go to a tool like TaskRabbit and have another consumer come over and do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think about most services that consumers need, there's, there's a supply of people that are in your vicinity that are willing to do those services for you. So instead of hiring a professional services firm to execute that, they're just simply going direct to the, to, um, to the other peers. Um, obviously, eBay was the first example of that, you know, mm-hmm. from p- consumers selling products to each other. But now it's kind of exploded into every quarter of the economy. And uh, just to add to that, you talk about how this has affected the ability to, to raise money uh, with, with crowds and, and, and crowdfunding. Yep. <laughs> one, yeah. One of my favorite quotes was he said, no longer does an aspiring artist or CEO need to rely on stodgy banks or lawyered up venture capitalists to access desperately needed startup funds. That's right. And I understand I mean, that that's really uh, right. it's powerful. a concern for the VCs. It is a concern for the VCs, but, you know, I mean... the. The VCs, are, there's still a need for them in later yeah. stage deals. I mean, obviously, you look at a company like Snapchat that's raising a billion dollars. They're not going to crowdsource that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's impacting the early stage um, venture market because basically it, 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 it makes the best ideas sometimes win um, versus you know VCs often, especially in early rounds, will gravitate towards people who used to work at a Google or Facebook to fund them. But if somebody has a really great idea that fits in on that need, they can go to a Kickstarter, put it up there, really promote it, and if they're passionate about it, be able to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, so crowdfunding is is a tremendous um, tool for people that want, and, and obviously I had the examples in the book, like when, when the college tore down the goalposts, instead of paying the fine, they went to their fans and crowdfunded the fine back. I and mean, there's so many um, iterations of crowdfunding and why it's a good thing, but it kind of democratizes the funding process and, mm-hmm. and really allows consumers to choose where they want to invest and what they, what ideas they'd like to see come to life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a, a nephew who's a recording artist, and he's had his albums funded by Kickstarter and all kinds of things like and that. And that. that's really amazing. Yeah. 
So one of the things you talk about is this this free agency world. And I think uh-huh. that a lot of people, you know, older than you, maybe my age, who are still thinking in sort of an industrial era yeah. uh, mindset. And you talk about if you're talented, you will rise to the top and have a portfolio of skills that you can shop to the higher to the highest bidder. Yeah. We're, a lot more people are going to become independent consultants than are currently there, right? Yep. Yep. Um, basically, you know, the path of, of getting an entry level job somewhere, um, and then working your way up the corporate ladder as sort of like a surefire path to success Mm -hmm. is gone. Um, the average age of a company, um, on the, on the fortune 500 used to, or I think it was either the fortune 500 or the S and P, um, went from 60, 60 years old to 12 years old. So the companies are not surviving big companies as long as they used to, which, <laughs> which basically diminishes the certainty that used to exist, mm-hmm. at least in people's minds, um, about, you know, h- how to succeed. And now with these platforms and tools out there that are connecting buyer and seller, if you have a marketable skill, in a very specialized niche area, there's unlimited income potential for you um, to actually just shop your service directly to companies, mm-hmm. um, which is creating this whole free agent or freelancer movement. Yeah, and you say no profession is sacred or bankable. Everyone must fend for themselves, and that's where true empowerment lives. So that's right. I think it's terrifying to some, but it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think the other thing that goes with that though is you talk about this life hacking, where if you could explain how a lot of people grew up who, who never even had the internet, and now it's about this continuous teaching that people are doing. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think life hacking is is, is really, a, you know, the notion of not following the, the path most taken. And it's about trying to figure out what the end result is, which will ultimately give somebody a notion of happiness and success, and then hacking your way to get there. Mm-hmm. And this is th- these are tools and tactics that aren't taught in school. They're not taught to people growing up. So, but maybe they should be. I think, you know, the education system is, is still, you know, teaching in a 1980s world in 2015 and the world has changed and it, it, it really requires a lot of courage and, and ingenuity for people to truly achieve some of the outputs I talk about in the book with some incredible entrepreneurial stories where people who just want to live a life of following their passion and, 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 and don't believe in, in the whole notion that you should take a job and kind of stay there your whole life and hope that you'll be successful that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems to be having an effect on higher education and, and attitudes towards it as well, yeah. with all this ability to, to, to teach oneself. Okay, so let's get a little further into some of the specific marketing things. I mean, these are all big societal issues, but they obviously have an impact on marketing. But you talk about TV, just for instance, yeah. which I think is, can be seen as a you know, metaphor for, for more of the... Um, you know, an interruptive type of marketing. And you say, with the exception of the NFL and a few big award shows like the Oscars and the Grammys, the days of mass TV audiences are over. Yeah. What's a, what's a traditional uh, interruptive marketer to do? They need to figure out a way where they can add value to consumers' lives, mm-hmm. you know, where they, where they can, you know, basically um, figure out ways where they can entertain consumers with content, add value to consumers, instead of just interrupting them from, you know, a show they're trying to watch with with forced commercial messages, which consumers now have tools to avoid them from seeing. <laughs> right. Yeah, you talk about the fleeting future of advertising, and it's just it's it, you, you know nicely explained to people how it's just so much more difficult to interrupt a captive audience. Yeah, 
because yep. you can't interrupt them, and there's no captive audience. That's exactly it's like right. You can only be, you can only earn attention, and that's where you talk a little bit about the difference between content and advertising. Can you can you explain that? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, you know, content is 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 something that's created, which has the consumer in mind first. Mm-hmm. You know, who is my consumer? What are their needs? Whether it's to laugh, cry, smile, shout, whatever it may be, and how can I cre- and how can I create something that's based around their needs? That's content. Advertising is what's my product, what's my unique selling proposition, and how can I get that message across about my product to a consumer who's going to want to buy a product. Um, usually, advertising is not something that consumers seek out, but they're forced to consume um, as a byproduct of them actually watching the content that they want to see. But now if advertisers want to win, they kind of need to blur the lines and actually create content. They need to put stuff out there with the consumer in mind that the consumer actually is going to seek out and figure out a way to how to sell their product while doing it, which is no easy task. Yeah, yeah. And you talk uh, a little bit uh, about big data. Yeah. And you talk about how this traditional spray and pray or just blasting out messages like it had been done for probably the last 75 or 100 years. That's right. It's just forever lost its potency. Yeah. Um, and it talks about how, you know, there's still a place for advertising, I would think, but the messages have to be relevant and, and contextual. Absolutely. They need to be relevant, they need to be contextual, and they need to leverage data to essentially, you know, hit the right message to the right time to the right consumer. The tools out there right now are so vast, um, especially in the social media world, to, to understand everything there is to know about a consumer and deliver them the right message at the right time, that there's no longer a need to target a generic 18 to 49 demographic and hope that the person that you're throwing something out there to see is going to see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, at the end of the book, and we're not going to go through this because the listener needs to buy the book, um, you, talk, <laughs> you talk about the predictions, and that was probably my favorite part of the book, yeah. about where things are going. And uh, just I'll just... I'll just uh, tempt them with one. Well, here's, here's two. One is people will get married later and have less children. Um, but it talks about social media. Uh, social will continue to go dark. Can you just explain that one prediction out of all these? Yeah. I mean, you, you really look at, um, Snapchat as a tool that consumers are using and why they love it. It's the ephemerality of it. The fact that they're not exposed to the public, the fact that the communications that they have over Snapchat are not going to follow them for the rest of their lives. That's an example of dark social. It's, it's communications that, that, that are not open to the public and thus not accessible by advertisers. And I think that, that a tool like Snapchat has exploded for a reason is that, you know, young consumers love using social media as a way to connect and socialize with others but they don't love the exposure it gives them, and they don't love giving companies and parents and people like that <laughs> access to their lives. So I think you're going to see a, a larger growth in social media that is, quote-unquote, dark, and it is sort of removed from the public in a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And I often hear folk my age uh, who are saying, boy, can you imagine if we'd had social media in our day, what trouble we'd have been in? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, the, I think the millennials have figured that out years ago. They, yeah. just, don't, they just don't use the stuff that can be— uh, you know, be held against them. Yeah. So uh, let me uh, ask you a question that's popular with the listeners. Are there any marketing or business books that you've read recently that you might recommend? Uh, I love the, I, I mean, some of these books really aren't that new because I, I often don't get around to reading books a lot because I just wrote one and I'm running a company and I haven't really 
you know, have my chance to, to consume one. But um, I love the um, I, I love the book Selling the Invisible, which is a book that's been around for a very long time about how to sell services. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it was really impactful for me. I love the book uh, Made to Stick, um, which is really about how ideas can survive and how to make sure that you're pushing through ideas through an organization to make, to have them actually come to life. Because I think the fact is that everyone's got great ideas, but only truly great people can figure out, you know, how to execute them. Mm-hmm. Great book. Great book. Are there any that are on your upcoming reading list that you're looking forward to, to getting into besides uh, marketing secrets of the grateful dead? <laughs> a, f- a friend of mine, Lewis Howes, um, who has a very popular podcast called school of greatness is coming up out with his first book, School of Greatness. And it's all about, you know, chronicling great leaders and how to actually achieve greatness in your life and your career. And I think it applies to everybody. And he's really tremendous and really looking forward to seeing his book, which is coming out soon. Oh, that's great. That's great. How can listeners find out more about you and your book? Uh, I have a personal website, mattbritton.com to go to. And there's links to things that I'm involved in as well as um, my book. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter, which is at Matty B, M-A-T-T-Y-B, to communicate with me directly or just see some of the things that I'm into. Yeah, we'll make sure to um, include that in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Let me just read one final quote that I thought resonated with me after reading the book. Whether you are a new college graduate entering the workforce, a small business owner struggling to get ahead, or a global CMO faced with maintaining the growth needed to prosper— Every business needs to learn to manage the change occurring around your business or it will undoubtedly manage you. If yeah. You've, if you've gotten to this point in the book, it should be clear that we are now living in a different world. It is no longer top-down but bottom-up. The world is being changed on the sidewalks more than in the boardrooms. So I think your book is uh, probably um, going to be enormously encouraging to a lot of people and absolutely terrifying to others. Have, have, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's, have you that's, found that reaction? Yeah, I sure have. Well, that means it's working. Yeah, absolutely. The name of the book is Youth Nation, Building Remarkable Brands in a Youth-Driven Culture. The author is Matt Britton. Matt, thank you very much for being on the Marketing it was such Podcast. A, it's such a pleasure being here. I really, really appreciate it. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. But don't let the end of this episode be the end of your learning. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for show notes, free resources, and guides. And be sure to join the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. Till next time. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.